This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. All right, welcome back to Breaking Pod for the fourth episode here. I am joined, as always, by Josh Goldman, who's going to be leading this episode in the discussion of the fourth episode of Breaking Bad. This episode is called Cancer Man. More on that in just a minute. But first of all, Josh, I saw Avengers Endgame on Friday night, and I know that you've not seen it yet, but do you have plans to see it imminently? Oh, I have plans to see it. What's really funny is that we, I was going to try to see it this weekend, but the only tickets that were left when I went to buy tickets were ones in the very front row of the theater, which is not my favorite theater viewing experience. And right, so, is, yeah. no, it's awful. And so I said, I'll wait. And then I thought, so Maureen and I were going to see it, my wife Maureen and I, for those of you who are not also listeners of the Popcast, where she is my co-host. we were going to well, you see, should be if you're not. Yes, please do. We were going to see it together. And, you know, if we had been able to see it this weekend... But when we weren't able to, I asked her tonight, I said, well, do you mind if I see this without you? And she sort of gave me this, oh, uh, okay, if, if you must. And I said, <laughs> oh, yeah, I said, oh, well, I'll, I'll see it again with you. But so now we're going to try to find a time where we can go together. But she did give me the blessing that if we can't find a time this week, she will let me go by myself and then I'll see it again, I'm sure, with her. So we did predict, we tried to predict the box office it was going to score this this past weekend on its opening weekend and Maureen was yeah. actually much closer than I was I think I said something like 290 million Maureen said 357 million it actually made 350 million dollars which is the most all-time amazing yeah incredible that's 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 an almost savant level prediction by Maureen though. yeah that's it was really, really good, good. And, uh, you know, the movie's already made back its its money that it spent in its production, which is pretty incredible. In, in one an opening weekend. weekend, which is insane. Insane. And around the world, it's it's made $1.2 billion. I saw that. Yeah, that's the number I saw that stood out to me. $1.2 billion. That's a lot of money. Opening weekend internationally. Crazy. So, so, Zach, without spoiling it, good? Worth seeing? No. So, no spoilers at all. Uh, definitely worth seeing because it's the capstone to the at least the first phase of the Marvel Universe. And there's there's so much nostalgia there. I think the first Iron Man came out in 2007, Josh, 2008. 2008, yeah. Uh, I, I was listening to a podcast uh, earlier called The Big Picture. I recommend this. It, although it's its discussion of the movie has a ton of spoilers, so be warned. Yeah. Uh, listen to it like I did after the fact. But they were they were pointing out that um, the first Iron Man came out in the Bush era. That's how that's wow. how much this that's how much this universe has uh, or how long this universe has lasted. So that's it's crazy. really really feels like the end of an era. It's the end to a or at least a. a sort of end to a long saga. I will say though that I was not I didn't leave the movie feeling satisfied. Interesting. And I had more questions and answers I think than than you know comparing my my leaving to my going in. Well, it's interesting because it's almost been structured like a TV show except that Totally. You get these installments over years at a time as opposed right. to every week like we would with something like Breaking Bad or something Game nowadays, of Game of Thrones, or nowadays yeah. where you can just stream something all at once. So right. I can totally see why something like this might leave you dissatisfied and then there being like no end in sight to when that will ever resolve itself. So I'll be interested to see what I think once I once I do get a chance to watch it. Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts. We can chat a little bit more in depth maybe by the next time we record this podcast you can give me your thoughts on the the piece as exactly. well but let's move on let's and talk it. about cancer man and josh i'm going to hand the reins to you on this one let's talk about breaking bad episode four all right so the first thing that i did when i was preparing for this episode was i wanted to look up if the title means anything because as zach and i have talked about for the first three episodes other than the very first one which was just entitled pilot some of the titles have had meanings a little bit more in depth than, you know, sort of episode two, episode three, episode four. So I googled Cancer Man, and the very first thing that came up is actually not what the internet says this episode was titled for, but I thought it was interesting to point out anyway. And the first thing that came up was the idea of being a Cancer Man, which is an astrology term. So I pulled this definition for what a Cancer Man means, and there are a couple points that I want to point out because maybe this does relate to Walter a little bit. So the first part of the definition doesn't entirely make sense. It says he is a soft, loving, considerate, and nurturing person. We don't really see that in Breaking Bad, but 
Maybe in Walt's past life, he might have exhibited some of these things. But then it does say that this person has a hard shell to protect their vulnerable underbelly and pincers to protect themselves when they feel attacked. And this one definitely rang more true when we think about Walt. Like, he has this this shell that, that people can't seem to break through. And he seems very hardened on the outside, but maybe there is some sort of humanity buried underneath that. And then the last thing about this definition was that they're deeply sensitive but easily wounded. Your cancer may not give you another chance to do him wrong once you've hurt him. Cancer men have long memories and never forget once they've experienced a slight. So, Zach, am I totally off base thinking that this has anything to do with Walt or the show? No, not at all, but I'm so glad that you brought this up because and I'm I'm not an astrology <laughs> aficionado either. at all. I know nothing about astrology other than uh, I guess, you know, just sort of generic common knowledge and, you know, understanding a newspaper horoscope section sure, and things sure. like that. So this was not on my radar when I read the title. Obviously, Walt has cancer, and so I was just thinking, oh, Cancer Man, the, the guy with lung cancer, the main character, the protagonist, he's the Cancer Man, right? And I think the, the internet has some suggestions about Vince Gilligan comparing this to an X-Files episode, something like that, right? But I think that you're onto something with this astrology point. Now, I do have a few reactions to what you just read. One is that with these astrological descriptions, I think one reason why they have such great purchase among people today is that they are always like vague and ambiguous and flexible enough to fit anybody. So if you're born in the in the dates to be a cancer man, you might read this and be like, yeah, I'm soft, loving, considerate, and nurturing. Sure. I don't have a vulnerable underbelly with pincers to protect myself, but I am uncommonly in touch with my emotions. Right? So there's always like, there's always things you can pick out and I think that certainly applies here, but I do think that um, in this episode in particular, and I think we're going to play a couple of these scenes that illustrate this, we do see some uh, some examples of Walt being kind of soft, loving, considerate, and nurturing in a way that we haven't yet in this show. So we've talked about him being a really prideful guy who feels like he was slighted in an earlier life and has a chip on his shoulder and is out to prove himself and all of those things, um, but we haven't really seen him be tender and emotional and loving with the people around him and I think we get a little bit of a glimpse in that a glimpse of that in this show and I think that supports your cancer man astrology thesis and yet at the same time we see him have a long memory and never forget when he's experienced a slight and we see the pride that this description that you just read indicates Josh so I do think you're onto something and I like this description or this uh, rationale for the name of this episode. All right. Well, the the other internet research that I was able to do, as Zach mentioned, it it does appear to come from Vince Gilligan's love of the X-Files. He was a writer on that show, and it's in reference to the smoking man who was originally called Cancer Man on the show. So apparently that's uh, one of the internet's theories about where this title came from. All right. So let's get into the recap here. The episode opens with Hank, Walt's DEA agent brother-in-law, going over newly discovered information that drug dealers Crazy Eight and Emilio are both missing. We as the viewers know what happened to them, but Hank, as the DEA agent, does not. He he tells the DEA group gathered in the meeting that there is a new meth kingpin in town, cooking meth that is 99.1% pure, which he indicates is very pure, the best that anybody's ever seen. Yeah, I think he even says that he talked to the DEA chemist in-house and the chemist said, I couldn't make it better myself. This is right. This is the real deal that you're not going to get better than this. Yeah. And the, the best part about the scene is that the end of it is intercut with a very flubby looking Walter White brushing his teeth shirtless in the bathroom. And I think this is just another example of Gilligan's dark humor that we see. Oh, oh, totally. Because we're hearing we're hearing Hank describe the purest meth he or any other DEA agent, including the chemist, has ever seen. And we have this kingpin, right? This master criminal in our midst who's peddling this stuff on the streets. And then we cut. And who is it? It's a flabby Walter White brushing his teeth yeah. in the mirror. It's pretty. It's that's, pretty that's great the, juxtaposition. And then right after that cut, Josh, we we cut to the the White family barbecue. And Walter has kind of zoned out as he's cooking the meat. And so the the meat, I think it's chicken or burgers or something. I think it's chicken. It's sitting there on the grill. And as he's kind of staring off into space, he's listening to the meat kind of cry out. It's almost like whistling or screaming <laughs> as it's yeah. as it's burning on the grill. More, more dark humor there from Gilligan, I think. 
Yeah, so this is a barbecue where Walt, Skyler, Walt Jr., Marie, and Hank are all attending this this uh, cookout. And the mood seems pretty lighthearted, but it's clear that Skyler is distraught and that Walt is struggling with his illness. And one thing, I'm not sure if we mentioned at the end of the last episode, but the very end of episode three has Walter saying to Skyler, look, we need to talk. And it's, right. it's clear that in the time that passed between episode three and episode four, he has told her about his cancer diagnosis. So she knows, right. and uh, the rest of the family does not. So during the barbecue, during the cookout, while they're eating, Hank encourages Walt to tell Walt Jr. how he and Skyler met. And we'll just hear a little bit of that exchange here. That there's a good story, Walt. Tell him how you met Skyler. Mom was a waitress in Los Alamos, and Dad said that thing to you? Well, actually, your mother wasn't a, a waitress. <clears throat> it was a summer job, and uh, she was the hostess, and she also worked the cash register. And I used to go in there a lot because it was close enough to the lab where I could ride my bicycle. And once I noticed her, it got to be so that I would only go in when I knew she was working. When it was slow, she would lean against the counter doing her crossword puzzles, but, but kind of hiding it, right? Pretending that she was still working. And once I caught onto that, I would do crossword puzzles while I ate my grilled cheese sandwich. It got so that every day at lunch, we would both be doing the New York Times crossword puzzle 10 feet from each other. And uh, <laughs> eventually, I caught her looking over at me. So I began saying, excuse me, um, 14 across, seven-letter word for whatchamacallit, uh, may I ask what, what you wrote down? And, uh, well, that got us talking. And, uh, boy, I tell you, I was, I was terrible at those puzzles. <laughs> I don't think that I finished even one of them. But your mother would do them in ink. Very smooth. <laughs> I bet you didn't think your old man had it in him, huh? But that's what I'm talking about. That's persistent, you see? Once you set your cap for something, or somebody, you gotta just, you know... Whoa. Sky. Mom, are you all right? Hey, hey. So, Zach, what do you make of this exchange from Walt? It, it seems like he is almost trying to normalize the situation because he knows that Skylar is upset about something. But the way that there's something about the way that he tells the story that just seems a little false. Yes, I totally agree with that. I, I think on the surface, it's what we were just talking about with the cancer man, right? He looks soft, loving, considerate and nurturing. But there is something going on here, and I too can't quite put my finger on it, but it, it almost seems a little bit manipulative in the way that he's saying it because it's only at the very end that he actually looks over at her as he's talking, right? Like the It looks like it's all kind of putting on a show, and he's sort of entertaining his, his table guests here with this yarn that he's spinning. And to me, it does feel a little bit disingenuous, and it's almost, it's almost a way of... Um, it's a way of reminding Skyler, I think, directly but obliquely in the sense that he's not talking to her. It's it's a sense of a way of reminding her, I think, that they had a good run and now it's time for things to change because of his cancer. I don't know. Do you do you get the same impression or do you have a different take? Yeah, I totally see that. One of the things that I was thinking is that maybe he is trying to divert attention away from the fact that his cancer might come up so he comes up with oh, this yeah. he comes up with this way to tell this really long story which in another movie another tv show might be romantic like it's a meet cute it's one of those things that in a romantic comedy would be really adorable but in right. this case it just feels so strained and i think it might be his way of of trying to deflect attention from himself and throw it on something that's happier and I, obviously it doesn't work. And so then, as we heard at the end of the clip there, 
Skylar says, ask him. She leaves the the barbecue, goes inside, and that prompts Marie to ask, Walt, what is she talking about? He then breaks the news to the rest of the family that he has lung cancer. It's almost sort of nonchalant the way that he delivers it. And totally. I mean, very direct. There's no beating around the bush at all. He just lays it out there. Right. And Walt Jr., Hank, and Marie are sort of stunned. So let's hear that little exchange where he tells them that he has cancer. I have cancer. Lung cancer. It's bad. Seven words, Josh. <laughs> Seven words. Yeah, it's so strange. It's almost like he's he's talking about, you know, like a baseball game. And he was like, oh, yeah, they lost. It was bad. It's just so, it's like not, this should be earth-shattering news for this family and for him to deliver. And it's just such a strange exchange that he has. And not only that, but he doesn't appear to have much concern for Skylar, who at this point has run away from the table in tears because she can't handle the emotions of it all. So he sits there, doesn't react when she reacts that way, doesn't try to comfort her, doesn't follow her inside. He just sits there as she goes off with Marie. Or no, I think Marie stays behind, right, as Skyler goes in. And then that's when Walt delivers the the seven-word bombshell. <laughs> I have cancer, lung cancer, it's bad. And that's it. That's all we get. Yeah, it's almost another piece of evidence that their relationship is strained and that it has been strained for some time, that he doesn't go after, that he doesn't try to comfort her. After that, Walt, Hank, Marie, and Skyler talk through his options for treatment, and we get a real sense that just about everybody but Walt is extremely concerned about the news he's just delivered. Now, he has had a little bit of time to process this by himself, but even still, Marie suggests that they try to find the best oncologist they can to see if something can be done to treat the cancer. Walt and Hank have a moment together where Hank tells Walt that he will take care of his family no matter what. And Walt's reaction to this is interesting. He almost looks like a little perturbed. Yeah. It's it's almost like he's looking at Walt disgusted or thinking, How how dare you even talk to me about this? Yeah. You know, I'm not going anywhere and if I even if I am, I don't need your help. Right. It's it's another prideful moment for Walt. Like I can totally. I can deal with this myself. So then we then cut away from from Walt and his family to Jesse. And Jesse is hanging out with two of his drug buddy friends. They're hanging out, smoking weed, when one of his buddy buddies asks if he has any meth, if he's still cooking, does he have any good meth? And Jesse tries to divert his friends back to weed, saying that meth makes him paranoid. But when they say they're leaving, he says he's just joking and that he has the meth right there for them to use. His tone, as you will hear in this clip that we're about to play, is almost longing. You know, for like, like health-wise, just lay off. Yo, if you're uh, if you're not in the sharing, man, just tell us to piss off. It's cool. We don't need no soap opera. Yeah, man. Whatever. No, no, no. It's all it's all good. You know, I I'm just saying. Uh, hey, I got I got plenty of pot. Yeah, I think I'll bounce, man. Yeah, sounds about right. Hey, yo, yo. Hey, Holmes. I'm joking. Okay, I'm totally joking with you. You kidding? Sit down. Best Dante ever. Grab that pipe. Jesse's such a tragic character, Josh. Yeah, he is. You know, this this scene to me is really interesting because I think it's a really interesting look at Jesse as a character. For me, it screams that he needs some sort of companionship. He needs friendship. Like, he can't stand to be alone. So even though he knows that the meth will make him feel paranoid and it's not what he wants to do, he decides to do it anyway. Yeah, and and in this episode, we find out a little bit more about what has sort of made Jesse this way, but I think this is a great example of it. And there are three friends that Jesse kind of keeps going back to throughout the first couple seasons of Breaking Bad, and these are two of them. Um, skinny and another guy whose name is escaping me, but then there's another friend named Badger, and um, it's these three guys, n- none of none of whom are doing well in life, none of whom are going anywhere fast, <laughs> and but but they're the guys that Jesse hangs out with, right? Because they're also you know potheads or meth heads or whatever, and these guys do things together, mostly just sit around each other's houses and and do drugs, and and yet 
Jesse really cares about how much time he gets to spend with these guys, and he really cares about their opinion of him. He's very susceptible to peer pressure, but I think it's not because he wants to be popular. I think it's because he wants companionship and he wants friendship, and ultimately he wants to be loved and he wants to love. And this, I think, is an important thing to remember as the character of Jesse develops because what we're seeing in Jesse is a desire to love, and we see that borne out time and time and time again. And in Walt's case, I think, you know, it's it's in many ways the opposite of that because Walt's character is someone who is loved so deeply by so many people around him, and every action that he takes is in some form ultimately a repudiation of that love. And so this this sets up the, the, uh, the opposite nature of Jesse and Walt even more. We've just watched Walt at his barbecue spurn the love of his family, and then we cut to Jesse who as we will soon find out, has been cut off from his family, and yet he's like he's he's begging for the love of these loser friends of his as they sit in his house and you know use his drugs. Yeah, that's a really good point. I I didn't think about the sort of yin and yang of Jesse and Walt in that particular way, but it totally makes sense. So the next morning, Jesse is strung out after smoking the meth from the night before. He and his house are totally disheveled. And he stares nervously out the window. His paranoia is rampant. <laughs> this is such a good scene. So his solution is to smoke some more meth. He does of course, so. Yeah. And his paranoia grows worse and worse. And he sees out the window two gang bikers, one with a machete and one with a grenade approaching the house. He sprints out of the house, army crawling through the driveway, hopping over the fence as the two bikers are banging on the door. But we then see that these were actually only Mormon missionaries (laughs) and that we were seeing them as threats through Jesse's eyes. So we were seeing his paranoia and they, and they like put this little brochure on his door, right? It's like, you know, come to the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We'd love to meet you. Yeah. I, I think in many ways, Josh, this scene really just underscores Jesse's helplessness. We've just watched him as he tried desperately to maintain a friendship or a relationship with the, the few people in his life and then he wakes up the next morning alone, right? So they're not there with him. He's all by himself. He's a meth user whose perception of the world is totally inaccurate. And that's obviously demonstrated to us in a in an, you know, humorous way when the, uh, the, the deadly biker gang <laughs> of bicycle Mormon missionaries shows up at his door and he uh, ends up running out of his house because he perceives a threat to his life. Yeah, and that's totally a scene that we wish we could play on the podcast, but there's no dialogue. You just have to watch it. It's right. visually really, really great. So definitely check that out if you haven't already. So meanwhile, Walt is attempting to patch the wounds on his leg. Remember, he got stabbed by Crazy 8 with the plate shank when he was killing him, choking him in the basement. And he's using rubbing alcohol and acrylic glue. I mean, this is like medicine 101. Do not use acrylic glue. No, that sounds like a terrible idea. Right, and it's clearly painting him... And maybe this is another example of him trying to tone for for killing Crazy Eight. I'm not entirely sure, but clearly he didn't want to go to the hospital because then they would ask questions about, you know, what was going on. So Skylar comes to the bathroom door while he's doing this, just as he's having another coughing fit. Um, she asked if he's okay. When he says he's okay, she leaves him alone. What we find out that she's doing is calling doctors. It seems like she's been on the phone with doctors and and nurses and and hospitals and oncologists all morning. She's trying to get Walt an appointment with a renowned oncologist. And at the end of this uh, scene, she's successful. And she seems totally relieved. Like, oh my gosh, finally we catch a break. She's trying to to provide this for Walt. Uh, She seems relieved, but Walt, he he does not. And and we're going to hear that in this little scene here five on Friday morning. Thank you so much. Okay. Oh, yes. Honey, the best oncologist. I mean, not even just in New Mexico, but one of the top 10 in the entire nation. His name is um, Dr. Del Cavoli, and we see him on Friday. I mean, Marie really came through for us. She had her boss call and... (sighs) Okay. This is good. From here on out, I mean, things are gonna... What's what's that we're putting on a credit card? Uh, it's just a deposit kind of thing. How much of a deposit? It's $5,000. $5,000? 
Jesus. And, and what's that? Just to start? I mean, just to tell me what I already know? Walt, he's not in our HMO, okay? It, so be it. We'll figure it out. Come on. Don't get hung up on money here. I mean, we can always borrow from Hank. Absolutely not. No, I just... We're not going to do that. Well, maybe we can ask your mom. Have you even called her yet? Well, regardless, you're going to have to tell her about this. Call I mean, I'm willing to do it, I'll but... I'll call. I... Okay, look. I don't even want us thinking about money. Money is not the issue here. It's I not. Not. Okay. 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 I'll take care of the deposit. I'll take care of the deposit, he says, Josh. Yeah, it's so, it's so like business oriented. I mean, his first reaction when she says, look, I got this appointment is, huh, huh, interesting. Like I, it's, and then he's like, what, what's that we're putting on the credit card? It's like, it's such a strange reaction and I think it just goes to show my interpretation of this is just another piece of evidence for the strain in their relationship but one thing that I wanted to ask you is for anybody who's watched the show before and and did any reading when the show was out there was a lot of backlash against Skylar as a character do you think that are we seeing evidence of why that could be this early like in the show like because she's set up almost as his antagonist, like he is, he is sort of a, a, an anti-hero even now. But she's set up almost as his antagonist. Like he seems to be making practical, you know, reasonable arguments. Like, well, what are we going to do about the money? Like the money is not inconsequential. And she's right. like, let's just you know forget about the money. Let's just deal with it when we get there. Is she already being set up? at this point as sort of a character that we're not supposed to like? I don't, I don't know the answer to that, Josh. I think that she already, I mean, when I was watching this through the first time, she already was a character that I didn't like because she, there's just not much that's likable about Skylar. She, she seems easily annoyed. She seems like she doesn't have a great relationship with her son, her husband, her sister, her her brother-in-law, really anyone in her life. Um, I do think that she's become more likable in the aftermath of finding out about Walt's cancer because, you know, just recall, for example, in the previous couple episodes, she uh, got really mad at Walt when he, when she found out he was, well, when she, quote, found out that he was you know buying marijuana from Jesse. He really wasn't, but that was his cover story. And she goes to Jesse's house and threatens him, right? She, so she she sort of does these things that make her a not very sympathetic character, but but then she has a little bit of a change of heart when she finds out that Walt has cancer, and we see that genuine emotion from her at the table, at the barbecue, and we see her really doing everything she can to get her husband an, an oncology appointment, and so I, I do, I like that, and I think that this is her most likable moment of the series so far, but we also start to see more of her personality emerge over time, and so in, in this moment, she's certainly much more likable than Walt, but I'm not sure how likable she is. And I I don't think that's very sustainable on her part either. Right. I think that I agree with you. It's definitely her most likable moment. I just don't know if it's enough to sort of cover up what we already know about her as a character. Right. And the fact that she's quick to anger, quick to annoyance. She's kind of an annoying person, seemingly. So I'm not sure it's entirely enough to cover it up at this point. Anyway, so Walt is clearly concerned about the money. He says at the very end of that scene, which we didn't hear, but he says he's going to buy borrow the $5,000 for the deposit from his pension. But mm-hmm. what he really means by this is that he's going to use the cash from his first meth sale that he has stored away in the vent in his future child's room. So when he goes to get it, some of the cash like blows back into the vent. And this is just sort of, sort of like a goofy scene. It's it's like Walt. He, he's not quite sure what he's doing. It's like <laughs> yeah. he's hiding it in a pretty obvious place. And then the cash like blows away. It's just kind of humorous. But then Walt Jr. comes in to confront his dad. And just a quick nitpick about this. I don't understand how he hid the cash back in the vent so quickly. Yeah, I also don't understand that. It, it was about a half a second of time, maybe a second and a half. Yeah, I was like, is he sitting on it? What does he do? Where where did the money go? So anyway, Walt Jr. comes in. 
we haven't really seen much of his reaction to Walt's news about his cancer, but here we see that Walt Jr. is really upset about his dad's diagnosis. And he's he asks him sort of like, why are you acting so weird? And Walt just has absolutely nothing to say. And it's just another example that this episode is doing a really good job of, of portraying of just the strain of the relationships in Walt's life. Is that what you read into that as well? I mean, it's a pretty quick exchange. Yes, absolutely. And I think this is another example of Walter Jr. sort of you, uh, Vince Gilligan using him as a, um, I'm not even sure what the technical term would be, but but using him to sort of set the scene, right? To tell us something or show us something about Walt because it was Walter Jr.'s question that led Hank to prompt Walter to share the story of he and Skyler meeting. And now it's Walter Jr. who's who's wondering what we all are. Why are you acting so weird, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, if, I'm, if my memory serves me, and I, w- I won't get into any specific spoilers, but I think Walt Jr. operates in this way throughout much of the series. Like he's, yeah. he's, I think what the, the term you were looking for is like a plot device. He, he almost just yes, sort of, yeah. he's table setting for the rest of the right. show. Poor, poor Walt Jr. He doesn't get a lot of meat to work with. After this scene, Walt then drives to the Mesa Credit Union, where he is rudely cut off for a prime parking spot by a BMW driven by what I'm going to term a quote unquote business bro. This guy's name, <laughs> this guy's name is Ken. And we know this because his license plate says Ken wins. So Walt runs into Ken in the line in the credit union and appears extremely annoyed by the really callous, toxic masculinity that Ken oozes. So Walt gets his cashier's check for the specialist oncologist with the money from the initial meth cook. But before we go on, I want to just play like a quick clip of Ken so you kind of understand sort of the ick factor of this character. Yeah, and what I'm about to play, I actually edited a little bit because it was uh, it was even more vulgar than what I'm about to play. Just to give you an idea of how how gross this guy is. For a bonus, that's less than 10% of what I booked for you guys this quarter. Come on. I'm not going to sit here and be disrespectful. Oh, he's shitting bricks. Oh, you know he is. Yeah, that man lives in fear. I'll go across town. Hell, I could go anywhere. Hoffman, Gordon, Bradley, or Sorcher. Even Goldberg Wayne, they'd make me a partner at Goldberg Wayne just for walking in the damn door. So he's having this conversation on the phone in earshot of everyone in the bank. Dude, you should check this chick out. Who? No. Buddy, she's a cow. Stacy's a cow. We're talking major barnyard boo hog. That kind of stink does not wash off. So that's business bro Ken. Ken wins. Yeah, and and what you should know about him is he's talking on one of those 2008 Bluetooth devices. So this, <laughs> that, yeah, that's a good that's a good. This detail, is like a, this is like pre AirPods. So so like the really classic Bluetooth headset that people were walking around with. I think the other thing about Ken here is that he almost seems like a caricature. Like he's like no one. I don't think I don't know anybody like this in real life. So and I think he's meant to be a caricature because. What we'll later see is that he is going to prove to be a foil for Walt uh, later in the episode. Yeah, I mean, one thing I was thinking about is they're in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Are there really this many law or accounting firms <laughs> yeah, or whatever yeah. kind of businessman he is in Albuquerque? Where like he's just he's listing all of these named uh, firms that he could go work at and be a partner at in a Jiffy, whatever. Uh, it does. It does seem much more like a caricature. He drives the BMW convertible. He wears the suit. Wears the Bluetooth. Uh, talks loudly about everyone. Everyone that he sees and describes women in crude anatomical terms and all of these things. Very, very caricaturized. Yeah, I think Ken probably thinks he's like a ten on the cool scale, but maybe he's <laughs> yeah, like totally. an Albuquerque ten. If he goes to like New York City or something, he's like a he's like a three on the cool scale. Yeah, something like that. All right, so after this scene, we then cut to a scene that when I rewatched this episode, I actually thought, is there a commercial on Netflix? Because it seems totally out of place. So all of a sudden, we're at a dinner table with a middle-aged man, a middle-aged woman, and a young boy. We haven't seen any of these characters before, and there is no immediate indication of who they are. So they're talking about the boys' school when they hear a crash in the backyard. They go out and see it's Jesse, who has knocked over all the patio furniture, and what we quickly learn is that Jesse knows these people well. It's his mom, dad, and younger brother. So Jesse falls into bed in what appears to be a guest room. Uh, it's a safe haven where he sleeps for a whole day. And something I should point out, it seems like 
Jesse doesn't have a room at this house, despite it being a pretty big house. He doesn't have a room that his parents have kept for him. He is now right. in what appears to be a guest room. Right. This is not where he lives. This is where he perhaps grew up. It's, it's not even clear if he grew up there, but this is where his family lives. Right. So his parents have a discussion while he sleeps about what drug he's using now and whether or not they're going to let him stay. It's clear that this isn't the first time he's shown up seeking shelter. So Jesse appears to treat the situation like he'll be able to stay as long as he wants, but his parents seem to have other ideas. What was your initial reaction when you saw this scene? This is a little bit of an emotional scene, I think, Josh. I At this point in the series, I'm already emotionally invested in Jesse and in Jesse's future, and I can't really be invested in Jesse's past because I don't know anything about his past other than that he was a high school chemistry teacher of Walt's, right? And so this is our first glimpse, really, into where Jesse's come from, and it's really sad. His parents seem like good people, it seems like they've given him plenty of opportunities to reform before, and they're really torn about how to go forward with this opportunity. They also have to think about Jesse's younger brother there and the influence that Jesse might or might not be for him. And so it's it's really tough. I mean, I as a parent myself, I think I understand a little bit of the predicament in which they find themselves. They love their kid very dearly, obviously, but need need to potentially administer some tough love. Um, but it's also really tough for Jesse because we've already established how much Jesse is desiring and craving love. And he comes home hoping to find that. And you just, your heart aches for him a little bit because it's looking like he's not going to get that here because his parents think they need to go the tough love route. And, and maybe they do, maybe they don't. I'm not saying one way or the other. And I don't know what I would do in that situation, but it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough sequence to watch. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that as a parent of a young child myself, it's hard to think about when they grow up if they're not, if they need tough love. You know, you remember when they were little, when they were innocent in a way that Jesse isn't anymore. And I think that that would be really hard to deal with. So I totally feel for his parents here. Uh, one thing I did want to ask is what was his plan? Like, wh why was he coming in the backyard? Was he just going to sleep in the backyard? Like, did he hope that they would come out and find him? Was he going to break in the back door? It's never clear what Jesse was planning to do here. Yeah, that's a good point. I I just took it as he was climbing over their fence to potentially come into their back, like come to their back screen door, and then he just tripped over the patio furniture. But that doesn't really answer why he wouldn't just go to the front door. Maybe he still thinks he's being chased by a mercenary biker. <laughs> that's gang. right. Yeah, true. He's got to be. He's got to be careful. So the next day, Walt and Walt Jr. have another strained conversation. We're back with Walt to see his side of this particular story. They're in his classroom after school. Walt Jr. appears to want to spend time with his dad and stay close to him. But again, Walt just seems to be unsure of how to do even the simplest thing, which is like drive home with his son and have a normal conversation. So we'll get we'll get more into to their relationship as we go a little bit further in the episode, but now we're back at the Pinkman house. Jesse appears to be bonding with his younger brother, Jake, who is engrossed in his schoolwork. And what we learn here, based on sort of the set decoration of Jake's room, is that Jake is uh, maybe the golden child and the favorite. He's got trophies, he's got medals. Yeah, it sure looks like it. Yeah, but Jake corrects Jesse that, quote, you're practically all they talk about, end quote. Um, it's it's as you mentioned before, it's a heartbreaking realization for Jesse that he has caused and continues to cause his parents pain. And and Zach, you had an interesting, interesting look at this at this moment as well. Yeah, well, I think on one level, this is the typical sibling rivalry thing, right? I mean, which and you have siblings, Josh, and uh, I do, too. Like who who growing up, um, you know, doesn't at some point think that your parents love one of your siblings more than you. Right. Yeah. Uh, like this, this is a very common thing. And on one level, I think that's all this is right. Jesse's like, you're the golden boy. And then Jake says, are you kidding? You're the, you're all they ever talk about. But on the other hand, I think this highlights Jesse's perception problem. We just saw the scene where he confuses a couple of very kind looking Mormon missionaries for a murderous biker gang. And now he's at his parents' house thinking that they hate him and love Jake. And Jake is saying, no, they love you tremendously, dude. Let that's I, I wish they talked about me as much as they talk about you is basically the implication there. And Jesse's really surprised to hear that because it is not at all in line with his perception. His, his perception is completely different and almost opposite from what the world around him is showing right now. So at this point in the episode, before we go any further, 
would you think that Jesse sort of has a little bit of a change of heart? Like he thinks, okay, well, I didn't realize that. Maybe I should maybe reform the way that I've been living and and, and try to reestablish my relationship with my parents. I think it's early to say that. We can't know for sure. But the brief reaction that we see from Jesse, I think, suggests that that's at least a possible outcome here. That that if there's a chance for Jesse to reform, this is his last best hope to do that. You know, And... I think you're going to sort of expand on this a little bit on where this sequence goes next, but this is a, a pretty key pivotal moment for Jesse Pinkman in the Breaking Bad series. Yeah, so this scene continues. Jesse's back in the guest room. He finds a pile of his old papers that he had from when he was younger, including a chemistry test that he failed miserably in high school. It has an F, a giant F, written on the top of the paper, and then also written on the paper is quote, ridiculous, apply yourself, end quote. And these are, as we find out, sage words from Walter White, teacher. <laughs> so I, I think that right. my interpretation is that is that Jesse was thinking about, like, maybe let me reminisce about my past and that I really did have a good life with my family. And then he sees this and he's reminded that maybe he's a loser or he feels like he's a loser. And that he was never able to succeed in high school. He's not succeeding even as a drug dealer or a drug user outside of school. And so I think this sort of prompts him to then call his drug buddy. It's one of the two friends that he was with earlier um, who offers to buy the, the rest of the meth stash that he and Walt cooked up. The guy says it's the best meth he's ever had. His his friends want it. He wants, him, he wants to buy it. And you can sort of see Jesse pause for a moment and think, is this something that that I want to do? Um, which we then find out in, in the very next scene, Jesse shows up at Walt's house, who is extremely angry and distrustful of him. He's like, why are you here at my house? Uh, he asked Jesse if he's wearing a wire. It's like something maybe he saw on a cop show. He's like, oh, maybe this, <laughs> yeah, this guy's like exactly. wearing a wire. Why is he there? Uh, Jesse says, as, as you pointed out, that he wants to debrief yeah, I love that. <laughs> I thought we could just, you know, debrief. debrief. Yeah, which debrief, <laughs> which um, he needs someone to talk to. But um, he quickly deviates to the real question, does Walt want to cook more meth because there's a real market for it? So here's that exchange that they have. I'm just saying, I mean, if you ever you know, saw your way clear to, um, you know, you and I cooking a little more. Get the hell off my property. What? I'm Go! just saying. And don't come back. Now. All right. All right, you know what? Four grand. Your share from selling that batch. That's why I'm here. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Hey, I didn't smoke at all. So he's throwing the money at Walt there and it's fluttering to the ground and into the backyard pool. So the thing that I wanted to ask you, Zach, and get, and get your take on, because I think this is a, another key moment for Jesse and Walt, but especially for Walt, he, he seems to be very much out, out of the game at this point. Like he doesn't want anything to do with meth or the drug business. He doesn't want to see Jesse anymore. He's obviously preoccupied by his cancer and and all of the things that his wife is doing for him and his family's doing for him. So what do you make of this? Do you think this is that this is because he saw the error of his ways, or is he simply scared of getting in any deeper, knowing what he's already gone through? So I think the answers in that scene that we just listened to and then the immediate aftermath of that, as you mentioned, uh, one of Walt's first thoughts when Jesse shows up is, are you wearing a wire? Right. I think someone who's genuinely reformed and um, wants to move on from the choices they made would not would not immediately go to are, are the authorities here to serve justice for what I've done. Right. Um, so that, that's the first thing I would say. And we have, again, just come off of this sort of pivotal moment for Jesse where he's wondering if he is the is, is destined to be a failure that he always has been since he failed his chemistry test in high school. And, and Professor White told him to apply himself. Um, and is he willing to go back to the meth cooking life and embrace that? Or does he maybe 
um, go back home to the parents who he now realizes love him more than anything. So we've just come off of this sort of pivotal moment for Jesse, and now we're here with Walter. He does not really show any sign of genuine remorse. If anything, I think he shows some fear of maybe getting caught up in in events that are outside of his control. But I think what's interesting is that as soon as this scene ends, Jesse throws the money and walks away. Walter doesn't reject the money, and Walter doesn't seem shaken by the exchange at all. He doesn't sort of stand there with his hands in his face wondering what he's done and having a moment of self-reflection or introspection. Instead, his very first move is to pick up the money and to go get his little uh, his little pool net to pick out the money that's fallen into the pool. So his very first instinct, even in this moment, is not to reflect upon the morality of what he's done and what he's wrought, but instead to get the money. Yeah, I saw that as well. Although I think it could also be that he's not sure when Skyler's going to come back and he's got to clean this up. Like it, it could be more evidence of the fact that he's just sort of scared to get in any deeper, which, which is what you were saying anyway. But, but the reason he might be picking it up immediately is because that's the only hard evidence that someone was there. Like if Skyler came home, right. she'd be like, uh, why right. is there, um, money floating next to that bug in the pool? Like a, there's a hundred dollar bill. <laughs> so yeah, I, I totally see your point though. And I think that you're right. He doesn't seem to reflect on the morality of what he's done. And I think that knowing that he can continue to make money is what's going to prompt him to continue in the meth cooking business in the forthcoming right. episodes. So the next scene we see is Walt and Skyler at the appointment with the oncologist. The cancer we find out is worse than initially suspected, but the doctor indicates that it is treatable with some potential severe side effects. And while the doctor is describing the possible side effects, Walt zones out again into his shell shock state like we saw when he first got his diagnosis. But this time, there is no mustard stain for him to focus on. That's right, yeah. So then we are back at the Pinkman house, and the maid that cleans the house finds a joint hidden behind a plant in the guest room where Jesse is staying. So his parents confront him, He denies any knowledge of it. And after a scolding from his parents, it's almost like they're talking to a child. His mom says, enough, Jesse. And his dad says, we need you to leave. It's pretty cut and dry. They're not going to take any more of this from Jesse. So Jesse takes the joint, walks out of the kitchen. He doesn't seem to push back at all. He's sort of accepting of his fate. And then he is standing on the sidewalk waiting for his cab. And his brother, Jake, comes out and says, thanks for not telling on me. And we find out that it was Jake's joint all along. Jesse took the blame for him, and he doesn't give it back when Jake asks. And Zach, you pointed out something interesting about this this exchange as well. Yeah, this to me is kind of a heartbreaking scene because uh, we, we're about to see Jesse, or we have seen Jesse, get framed essentially for something that Jake's done, right? Jake's is, Jake's the golden boy in Jesse's eyes and now he's about to take the fall for the one he thinks is the golden boy and I think it's important though in in what happens here so Jake right so so Jesse has the joint because his parents have confronted him and given him the joint and said basically you know this is not acceptable in our house leave right and so Jake goes out thanks for not telling on me but he doesn't give it back and I think that's important so instead of giving Jake back the weed what he instead of keeping it for himself, what he does is he breaks it and he smashes all the weed on the ground. He says something like, "You know that wasn't good weed anyway." Yeah, it was skunk weed. Yeah, skunk. That's right. This is skunk weed. But I think the point is, uh, he doesn't want Jake to make the same mistakes that he's made. So even in even in the process of Jake being or Jesse being kicked out of his parents' house, and we just saw this scene with Walt where he's open to cooking to to cooking meth again and sort of going back into the trade. Even after all of that, he doesn't want Jake to follow in his footsteps. He's still showing so showing love, showing um, sacrifice, showing a sort of a, a, a tendency to shield his little brother from the life that he has found himself in. And I think that's a really important thing to notice about this. And that makes Jesse an even more sympathetic character to me because I see that. I don't see him, you know, and I, I think, again, contrasting Jesse and Walt here, right? Jesse is a man who, in this instance, we see shielding the people around him from his decisions. Walt, on the other hand, ends up wrapping the people around him further and further into a a destructive vortex of his own making. Yeah, I think that's an absolutely important thing to note. And I think it's, again, it's it's another 
uh, example of sort of the yin and yang of Walter and Jesse as we experience them throughout the series. So then we are back at the White House, not the White House, the Walter White House, <laughs> right, the yeah. Walter White House. The White Residence. The White Residence. There you go. Uh, where Skylar reads some literature about cancer treatment and asks Walt if it's okay that she calls him, calls for him to start treatment. And then Walt pushes back again about the money. And instead of trying to describe the scene, I just want to play it because it's it's much more powerful to hear it than it is for me to describe it. Am I supposed to leave you with all that debt? No. I, I just don't want emotions ruling us. Maybe treatment isn't the way to go. Then why don't you just fucking die already? Just give up and die. Brutal, Josh. That that first that first interjection from Walt Jr. is a, a little bit funny, though. It's <laughs> just how how jarring and abrupt it is, and how and he's like sitting across the room too. He's not actually a party to this conversation. I think he's sitting in the other room watching TV, but he hears his parents talking about it, and he just throws that out there, and uh, it really does sort of put things in perspective. I think. Yeah. So if we didn't know already, this family clearly has problems. But I think the interesting thing to note about this is I'm not entirely sure Walt is wrong. I mean, he's being practical in a very smart way. Like, he doesn't want to leave his family with a mountain of debt, as he says. And I think that that's not wrong for him to point out. Now, I don't know what his plan is. Like, maybe he just thinks, I'll cook meth until I die because it's, you know, it's just not going to work. I'll just work on this uh, side business until I die and then I'll leave them with cash or whatever. But, I mean, I think it's important to note that He's he's talking about something that is realistically going to be a problem, because I think at this point he thinks there is no chance that I survive. Like, even if I do all the treatment, I'm going to die. Yeah, I think there's something to that. But it's pretty clear, too, that he hasn't done really any research into this. He hasn't asked his surgeons, uh, at least to our knowledge, he hasn't asked his surgeons, his medical team, all about his extensive options and what may or may not work. He hasn't done the legwork to see even what providers are covered by his insurance. Skyler did that legwork after Walt refused to do that. So I, I think that, you know, he, he may be onto something. I think there's certainly a place for, for palliative care, never, never assisted suicide or anything like that. And he's not proposing that, but I think, you know, palliative care, hospice care, that can be a reasonable course of action in certain situations. But I don't think Walt's done his research to know whether or not that's, that's his situation in this case. Yeah, I think he's clearly focused on just the money side here. He's not considering any emotion or, you know, how it's going to affect his family. So I think that that right. is where we see a a sort of he's his his character, his person is devoid of this very necessary human thing, which is recognizing and responding to emotion. So I think that's an interesting thing to note here. So we've reached the very last scene of this episode, and Walt is driving by himself. We're not sure where he's going, but he has another coughing fit, and he pulls over into a gas station parking lot, and he sees some blood on his hand from all of his coughing. Just another nitpick. Is this a thing? Like, I, No idea. <laughs> no idea. We need, our, we need our resident oncologist to come on and, and set the record straight. But I feel like yeah. the blood... Where's, where's a pulmonary oncologist when we need Yeah, it? I feel like the blood on the hand or the, the handkerchief is, is like a big TV movie trope. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's certainly a good visual. I just don't know if it's true. But anyway... At the gas station, we are reintroduced to business bro Ken. He is back. He is going to get gas. He parks his car at the at the uh, pump and goes inside to pay. Remember, this is 2008. I guess paying with a credit card was, was not as much of a thing in 2008. <laughs> I can't remember myself. Um, but Walt has a determined look on his face, and he approaches Ken's convertible while Ken's inside. He pops the hood of the car and places the squeegee that you usually use to clean the windshield onto the car's battery. It shorts out, and as Walt is walking away, the car explodes, like a it's great. like a full-on explosion. <laughs> Ken turns around inside. He's beside himself, and Walt smugly drives away. And I guess Walt just wasn't you know, concerned at all about security cameras here. Yeah, no, I guess not. Um, I... I love this scene for a number of reasons. One, it's totally over the top, completely over the top for Breaking Bad. I mean, I think one of the brilliant things about Breaking Bad is that it is a nitty gritty real life show. 
it is not an action film. And so it, it is not, it does not deserve comparison alongside like live free or die hard yeah, because it's not definitely like, not. It's not what that is at all. Um, a little nitpick here. Uh, I, you know, I, I just, you, you wrote this in sort of our, uh, in our um, Google, Google docs notes on the show, but you said, uh, I guess he wasn't worried about security cameras. And I had the same exact thought. Like he brazenly walks up to this thing, pops the hood, throws a squeegee in there to short circuit the battery and ignite the, the engine block. And then he just casually saunters away and he's, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, only 20 feet away from the car, maybe 30 feet when it, it does explode. I mean, well in view of security cameras, if they do any sort of, uh, you know, forensic analysis on who did that, it's, it's going to be very clear. It's him. His car is probably even in the frame. So they could probably even pick the license <laughs> yeah, right off his definitely. car that he then gets in and drives away. So there's a lot that's over the top here. Um, it makes me think that there's, there's something being said. And I wonder if this is, is, is a, is a moment of transformation for Walt, you know, as he's walking away, he doesn't look like a, a loving family man. Uh, he looks like a, you know, he looks like maybe a, maybe, maybe we'd say a cancer man, uh, who's, who's using his pincers to fight, fight back. I don't know. Um, but he's, I mean, the scene itself looks like almost a parody of like a Jason Statham or a Bruce Willis, but it's not set to this like driving action music. It's set to this song called Didn't I by an artist called, um, I think it's pronounced Durando. And the lyrics are interesting. So the the lyrics to the song, didn't I treat you right? Didn't I do the best I could? Didn't I give you everything? I tried my best just to be a man. Didn't I do it, baby? Didn't I do it right? Um, there's something wrong with you. Tell me, bring me all your troubles, dear. You look bad. You should be glad. You're leading man. Always be glad. Sit by home and let me kiss your lovely lips. It's a mystery to me that you won't talk to me what it is that I've done to make me. Um, and it, it has an interesting vibe to it. I'm going to just play a little bit of this uh, right here. This is the music that this explosion scene and Walt walking away is set to. Didn't I give you everything? Didn't I? I tried my best just to be a man. So definitely not what you'd think of when you're thinking of an action film uh, or an action sequence with a car exploding and a main character walking away from it. So kind of interesting. Yeah, I think on its face, this scene is is a way for Walt to get some control back because I think throughout this entire episode, he's been on the defensive. Like he doesn't have control in almost any of the scenes. And I think for him, you know, this is a moment where he can fully take control and sort of stick it to this character who has annoyed him. And I think what's other, what else is interesting about the scene is that, you know, business bro Ken is clearly uh, not a good guy, but he hasn't personally, other than take his parking spot, he hasn't done anything to Walt. So you'd hate to see what happens if someone actually does cross Walt. And I think that's something interesting to, to ponder on as we as we continue looking at this series, like if, if Walt can be annoyed enough to blow up someone's car because they took his parking spot and, and are kind of crude and crass, mm -hmm. you know, what will he right. do if someone really does, you know, do something bad to him? We'll find out. I think, I think we'll see. Josh. I think we will see. So I think that will wrap up the episode. The only thing left to do, unless there's any other follow-up from you, Zach is, who is the MVP of this episode. I'll kick it to you first. Yeah, so uh, the only follow-up I have is just to actually give a teaser to the next episode. It's um, it's going to be a fascinating one because we go back and get a pretty good glimpse into um, into Walt's history. And we do it we do it through the present day, so it's, it's very, I think, well done, directorially speaking. And I think there's a lot to talk about, so be sure to tune in for Breaking Pod Episode 5 because we're going to talk about Gray Matter uh, Episode 5 next. Um, as far as the MVP... Josh, this one for me was a tough one. And even now as I'm talking, I'm still not 100% sold on my choice. I think um, to my to my mind, there are there are three candidates. Um, one may be surprising, two probably less so. So the two, the two more obvious ones, Jesse and Walt. And I think it's because we see really, you know, you can look at it as two protagonists or really in some ways protagonist, antagonist, but but their setup is sort of diametric opposites in many ways who are mutually entangled in this thing they call meth cooking, right? The the third one, though, less obvious, I think, is Skylar. And I, I say potentially Skylar because, um, well, A, just sort of out of, uh, out of a desire to give her some hardware because I think that she, she'll she'll not be nominated for many MVPs as the season goes on. <laughs> but I think that in this episode, she's good because she helps us get a glimpse into Walter. You know, if from the beginning scene at the table where um, Walter shares a story about how they met and then she 
runs off crying and that forces us to, to have Walt talk to the rest of the family about his cancer or from the cancer uh, or the oncologist scene where she's made the appointment, but they need the $5,000 and they have that extended conversation and she tells him not to worry about money. And then what does he do? He probably worries about money and, and is very concerned about uh, picking up the money at the end or the, the ending scene where she is in this engaged back and forth with Walt. And that's when, when Walter Jr. Uh, pipes in and, you know, hurry up and die already. Basically. Um, I think, I think Skylar um, opens up some of those conversations and some of those looks at Walt. So, um, I think we'll we'll be giving out a lot of MVPs to Jesse and to Walt later on. So for this episode, Josh, I think I'm going to hand it out to Skylar. Wow. Okay. I have a different pick for this week. So this is our first split decision. So I guess what are we going to give half a point to each of them, and then yeah, well, yeah, we'll go okay. half. That's a good. Okay. Idea. Uh, I think. I, or l- let's just do. Let's do this. Let's do two points for all of the previous ones where we've agreed, and so we'll each get a each get a okay, vote. Okay. Great. So th- so that that brings right now before your vote here the tally is Jesse two, Walt two, Crazy eight two, and Skyler one. Okay. Yeah, I think I have to give it to Jesse for this episode. And I think that, you know, I I totally understand your Skylar point. I think that she will have episodes in the future where she will be more, maybe most deserving of the MVP. But the scenes with Jesse and his family rang really true to me. I just, I, I felt for Jesse and I felt for his family. And I think he shows a lot of range in this episode. I think Aaron Paul does a great job. So I will give it to Jesse for this episode. Oh, you're making this so tough for me because I was back and forth between Jesse and Scott. I think it's okay. I think it's okay to have, yeah. you know, some disagreement from here from time to time. I like, and, and honestly, you talked, you almost talked to me into giving it to Skylar with your explanation. All right, fair enough. Well, you, uh, you, you made me regret my choice a little <laughs> bit because I agree with you on everything you said about Jesse. I think he is a, a, a rock star in this episode and I really appreciate, like I said, how, how we see the back and forth between Walt and Jesse, even the way they just juxtapose those scenes, yeah. right? We go from Walt rejecting his family's love to Jesse seeking his friend's love, right? I mean, um, pretty powerful, especially when you when you rewatch it and you can, you have time to sort of think through some of these themes again. Yeah, well, we could just make it easy and just both go with Ken as you initially joked <laughs> yeah, about right. doing. MVP for sure, yeah. Whenever you get your car blown up, you're clearly the most valuable. Well, I think that'll do it for this episode. Anything else, Zach? No, that's it. Look forward to uh, next next week when we talk about gray matter. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, I'm Josh. And as always with me is Zach. We will be back soon with the episode five of Breaking Pod. Mm-hmm.